Hi, I'm Alex Jump, and this is Focus on Health, a podcast dedicated to discussing and bringing to light the fundamental issues surrounding health and wellness in the food and beverage industry. This week, my guest is Ariel Copeland. A Toronto-based chef, Ariel has been an advocate for mental health support for food and beverage folks for many years, which eventually led him to co-found Not 9 to 5. In this episode, he shares some of his experiences from his years in the kitchen, as well as some of his insights as an owner trying to create safer workplaces for his staff. Hey everyone, I'm Alex Jump and this is Focus on Health. Today I'm joined by Toronto-based chef and co-founder of Not9to5, Ariel Copeland. Hey, how are you? Hi, I'm well. Thanks for having me. I'm so happy to have you. I think you're my first Canadian on the show. Oh, nice. I'm going to celebrate <laughs> that later. <laughs> um, so... Let, I mean, let's dive right into it. I, I want people to know uh, what night, what not nine to five is, how it got started, and everything. Um, and I think that the interesting thing to start with here, and I'll definitely let you kind of give everyone a background. But you know, our industry has seen this massive shift in the last year of starting to have these really tough conversations out in the open about what we think needs to change. And we all kind of are seeing this as like, oh, 2020 was this massive shift for our industry, which it definitely was, but. Y'all founded Not 9 to 5 nearly three years ago, back in 2018. Um, so how's that been over the last few years? And then this past year, getting to see these conversations really coming more to the forefront of our industry. Yeah, it's it's been a pretty amazing journey. Um, so I'm a chef by trade, as you mentioned. Um, and for quite a few years, I worked in fine dining restaurants and uh, worked my way towards owning a restaurant. Um, And so, you know, the hours kept on getting longer as we, as we know they do, Um, Mm -hmm. you know, and at a certain point I I kind of realized um, that, that, you know, it wasn't slowing down. So I I opened my restaurant uh, seven, eight years ago now. Um, And a couple of years into that, I just realized how miserable I was and how depressed I was and all of these systems and structures that, I had come, you know, grown up with um, in the industry, I realized how harmful they actually were. Um, And so, you know, like things like, you know, like the long work hours and not eating very much and um, the idea that you always need to be busy and, you know, all of the leave your emotions at the door, all of these conversations that people are finally starting to have, you know, I just realized how harmful it was. And so as I was going through this metamorphosis, um, I started, you know, changing my surroundings within my, my workplace and making it so that my employees didn't have to go through the same bullshit that I went. Oh, sorry. I, I swore. I don't know if I'm good. Oh, you're swear, totally fine. And I guess we all, you know, have, have seen it and heard it. So um, yeah, I didn't want my, my staff to, to go through the same stuff that I did. So, um, you know, I, I was really trying to, and at this point I didn't really have words um, to describe things and, I didn't really know what I was trying to achieve, but I started making efforts towards, um, you know, having hobbies outside of work because I found that I had no hobbies outside of work. And so, you know, when I would go home, um, or I should correct myself and say, I did have hobbies outside of work, but they were all within the industry. So I'd go home and read cookbooks or, and I would read like, you know, I'd look at recipes for things or, you know, whatever it might be, but it was all stuff that wasn't allowing me to turn off. Uh, And so, you know, I started, you know, implementing that at work and then gym memberships because I realized how much my physical fitness had actually slipped working so much. And so I was like, look, 
let's all do gym memberships and then four day work weeks. Cause I was like, okay, let's really push for this like alternate lifestyle where it's not, you know, our, our work life is, you know, we work a full day, we go home, we sleep, we wake up, we go to work. Like we really need to have other um, activities that, that stimulate us within this. Um, and we want to see our family and making it so that people could have weekends off. Um, so I started making all these changes and, um, around this time while, while I was going through the shift, uh, one of my employees attempted suicide. And that was a really jarring moment because, um, you know, professionally I had no idea, um, what to do. And I was so fed up with the status quo and like the fact that we weren't having these conversations in our industry and the fact that I know I felt super depressed and I was trying to dig myself out of this hole. And then I had a staff member attempt suicide. And I know that that person, um, you know, was in a hole and didn't feel comfortable talking about it. And, you know, it, it's just, it was this compounding, um, this compounding social norms that we've, we've come to accept. And, and uh, so I hosted a panel discussion at my restaurant um, around mental health. And it was very broad. It wasn't like specific and it was just like, you know, mental health. It wasn't the most attended. Um, you know, there's probably like less than 20 people in the room. Um, and then the co-founder of Not 9 to 5, Hazel Avilas, was one of the speakers on, on the actual um, panel, as well as a few other industry professionals and leaders. And everyone just talked very openly about mental health. And it was kind of one of those things where it's like, I don't know, but we need to try to figure this out because we need to start the conversation somewhere. And we can't stop pretending it's not a problem because, you know, we, we are suffering from a mental health epidemic and there are so many challenges that are just being un, like, you know, not discussed amongst people and pretend, you know, people are pretending like it's not a real thing. So um, that was really the point of it is to get the conversation going. And even though it wasn't the most attended um, discussion, it was so powerful. You know, I think everyone walked away um, feeling so heard and, you know, feeling motivated. And so Hazel and I afterwards talked about it and we're like, you know, we need to continue this conversation because this really just can't be a one-off discussion. Um, and so that was kind of where Not 9 to 5 came from, um, you know, and I, Hazel has her own story. You know, I, I know she has a lot of uh, lived experience with mental health challenges as well. So, you know, that's my story, but her, her story is kind of a very different one. And, um, you know, from there we, we came together and, and, you know, started working on Not 9 to 5 with the goal of empowering workers in the hospi hospitality, food and beverage space, um, you know, with, um, you know, resources and knowledge and just the right words to say things and the right language to say things. I mean, I, I think we found some blocks in a very basic level of just like even the way that a lot of a lot of mental health dialogue is is almost institutional and people within our industry were like mm, yeah no um right. so we try to keep it like it's it's for us by us is what we always say i love that and i really appreciate like i really appreciate hearing you as a as a restaurant owner talk about the realizations that you had about what is what makes a better life for your staff you know, like that's something that I'm very, I've been very passionate about is like learning how to have hobbies outside of this industry. Because like, I always, I like, I have this running joke um, or like scenario that I like always paint to people, which is like, 
you know, uh, an accountant, for instance, you know, goes to work, does people's taxes and then like goes home and does something fucking cool or like does something not fucking taxes. But, you know, like they don't go home and just like talk about taxes all night long and then like do more taxes or read books about taxes. And maybe some people do, but probably not to the extent of us where we're like working in a bar talking about drinks, talking about booze, talking about food, traveling across the country to exclusively go eat and drink, going home, reading a cocktail book, making food. It's like so ingrained in the everyday minutia of what we do to where like we completely lose our identity outside of that. Where, you know, like, whereas if you like paint the picture of somebody who works some kind of nine to five job, like their identity isn't ingrained in the fact that they're an accountant. Um, and we have some, for some reason, because we're just like so passionate and what we do is so cool and everyone in the world pretty much partakes in it. Like it becomes like one with who we are and like, no, not very many people are talking about how big of an issue that is yeah, totally um, to not have identity outside. Yeah, of I, I totally agree. I mean, the thing is, you're absolutely right. It is a passion driven industry. And I think that um, there's benefits to that and there's downfalls to that. And I think one of the benefits is that um, the industry is filled with some of the most amazing, genuine individuals that I've ever met. Mm. Um, and then the downfalls are that, you know, it's easily exploited. You know, and and I think like as a young um, cook working in a fine dining restaurant, um, it's like, okay, we're going to pay you from two o'clock p.m. until 10 o'clock p.m., but you need to work from 10 a.m. until 11 p.m. Right, because, and you know, if you totally, if you don't get your prep done, then you're yeah, fucked, it's been right? So right? And it's because it's been normalized right. so much. It's just like, okay, no problem. Um, and actually, it's interesting, you know, on the other side, too, one of the things that I actually tried at my restaurant, which... Um, which I had to go back on was originally I, I tried to make it so that there was no after work drinks. Um, and I, I, I really quickly, so my restaurant was like wine. We had like a really cool wine program. Uh, we shared the space with like a wine school. So there's always kind of interesting stuff open. Um, and then cocktail bar and a pretty cool like craft beer um, program. So like it was a pretty interesting and fun um, spirit, like alcohol program, bar program. And so, um, for the first month or so it was like, okay, it's just a dry bar. There's no after work drinks. We don't want to encourage this. We don't want to promote it. Um, and I quickly came to realize something and, and that was like, it is a passion driven industry and people love this stuff, including myself. Like I love the idea of like, I love new cocktails and I love like super cool wines and you know, like I'm, I can get nerdy with it. Sure. And taking that away is actually taking away a part of the job that people really are passionate about and want to be involved in the growth of. Um, the problem wasn't so much the actual substances. The problem was the relationship with substances. And so that's where we started to put a shift and we started to like make this shift into like a little bit more of, okay, well let's, let's drink responsibly. Like we're going to be doing mindful drinking and we're going to practice you know, we're drinking for a reason right now after work. If you're trying something, you're trying something and let's talk about it. And let's talk about taste. It's right. not going to be a matter of like, okay, let me get three shots and then two beers and I'm off. Like I'm, I'm gone. Right. Um, I love that. Yeah. I love that thought of like, okay, well, like if we're going to have a wine after work, like, or if we're going to try a new spirit after work, like, let's talk about it. Let's learn about it. Like, um, it doesn't need to be the like everyday, like just boring, you know, I'm just going to take my favorite whiskey and you know that we're all guilty of um 
because it's a nice release at the end of work. But I, you know, yeah, I like that. We actually, I, I stopped drinking behind the bar, um, two years ago now. Um, and this actually, this past year has been like a real test of that. And I haven't always been able to be, um, you know, I haven't always been able to stick to my guns with it because this year was, you know, really emotional. And, and there were some days where it, you know, felt good to have a shot, uh, mid shift cause shit yeah. sucked, um, <laughs> or whatever, but yeah, we, um, we really pushed for that at death and co as well. Um, that, you know, w- there wasn't particularly very many good reasons to have drinks behind the bar throughout the night. Um, and so if, if you were, it needed to be a pretty special occasion or something like that, um, with a guest or whatever it may be. And then, yeah, you can have a shift drink after work, but it's not like you can have five and hang out all night long. Um, yeah. And it's, it's interesting. Yeah. Like that's one of the things that we've, we've kind of found and like, in looking and researching and, and just kind of rethinking a lot of the industry, you know, one of the things I, th- I think that we really nor- have normalized is that um, we have these drinks to celebrate and we have these drinks on bad days. And I think you have the extreme highs and the extreme lows and we start conditioning ourselves to like, you know, having these um, emotions attached to, to alcohol and to spirits, you know, and it's such an interesting thought process and it's, it can be quite harmful because you know, different people have different tolerances, but, you know, it's such an interesting idea of it's like super primitive, the like constant conditioning, but it, it's what happens, right? You have these emotions and then all of a sudden you're like, man, that was a great shift. Let's have a shot. But then, it's like, right, man, that was a shitty shift. No, sure. And it's so dangerous because again, like you don't know who else is in the room and what challenges people are having with substances. And you don't know like maybe it's the beginning of something or maybe it's someone's going through something and they're just not talking about it. Um, everyone definitely has their own path. And so, it, you know, I think that's one of the things that we don't really talk about enough in the industry is that, you know, everyone does have um, their own story and we need to really be respectful that not everyone is okay right now and understand that not everyone is okay right now. And that's pretty normal for people not to be okay. And it's okay for people not to be okay. Right. It's kind of like returning to this idea of like, we're allowed to be people, right? Just because we are hospitalitarians doesn't mean that we can't be people that have issues or lives and things going on, um, you know, around us. Um, That was something I just interviewed Alex Nagranda. I think his episode will come out just a week before yours. Um, And uh, we talked a little bit about like, how do we how do we treat our employees like people and kind of ditch this leave your shit at the door mentality, but still be able to provide like really exceptional, like out of this world hospitality hospitality experiences for guests? Because like a lot of what a lot of the magic of like hospitality is like kind of being able to like be a shadow, like on the wall to where like your guests can, you know, depending on what it is, he and I were talking about fine dining in particular, where, you know, like you can kind of like allow this experience to happen um, for your guests without you having to really be like necessarily a part of it. Um, But how do we like keep the human aspect of, uh, of ourselves at the same time? Yeah. I mean, I think that's, that's such a great question. And I, you know, I think that even asking that question and people starting to ask that question more is such a step in the right direction. 
Um, I think there's a few things like one of the things that comes to mind right off the bat is I, I remember something that Laura Green um, said to me that has really stuck out um, is, you know, everyone is there to do a job and it's not like one job is more important than the other. Everyone's doing a different job. And I, I think that changing the idea of this hierarchy, we chef mentality um, you know, I think that's something and you put a little bit more value on the people. And I think that's super important. Um, you know, I think for me, it's interesting because with this lockdown, it has been really, really hard. Uh, we're in our second lockdown and, mm -hmm. you know, restaurants are closed and, you know, it, it really does suck. Like it, it's hard. And, um, one of the benefits and advantages I'm seeing though, is I'm, I'm rewriting all of our onboarding packages and, um, I'm trying to really strategize right now um, a little bit more of a focus on psychological safety in the workplace. And, mm -hmm. you know, I think that's the idea is like, if we can make this shift, like you said, to have, um, you know, put the, put the people into an environment where they can flourish. I think that the business will, will really uh, be able to uh, grow just naturally. And I think everyone will achieve more just because of the fact that the people are in environments that they feel safe and that they're able to uh, not be okay and able to express, you know, express themselves, able to make mistakes. Um, so I think for me, that's kind of a, a first start, but I don't think it's the only thing that needs to change. I think that we also need to continue to rethink some of these harmful practices. Yeah. I mean, I, I love this concept of psychological safety and I really enjoyed the conversation that we all got to have about it um, with the James Beard Foundation because I don't think enough people are really talking about about it. And in particular, the thing that really kind of like lingers with me is thinking about my past experiences with employers and like how that has affected the way that I work now, you know, and how I um, how I react to situations and especially like when you bring up the topic of like being allowed to make mistakes, like I'm terrified of making mistakes. Um, and I'm terrified of telling my bosses when I've made a mistake. And I do think a lot of that comes from my previous employment and the way that they handled those situations and, and managed them. Uh, yeah. It's interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel the same way. And I think especially um, in the kitchen, um, it, it, it kind of comes out in sometimes unexpected ways. Um, and, you know, I've really had to make a shift and, and I think be a little bit mindful of myself as a manager because, uh, you know, it's, it's not something that I want to pass on to the next generation. But because of the fact that, you know, I was raised in it, there definitely are lingering things that I'm like, sometimes I'll do something and I'll be like, oh, what? Like, that's not what it is. Um, but I think that's part of the growth too, right? Like, and I think being, you know, admitting that like, we're all complicit, like we've been living in these systems, like it's time, like we're trying to put our foot down to change, but change takes time and change is hard. And like paving the way for this new school of thought is hard. And I think that, you know, it will get easier, but it will take time. Yeah, definitely. And a lot of like unteaching ourselves of things that we've, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, it's like you catch yourself doing something that you don't even believe in, but because you were like, we've been conditioned um, to think that way, like you catch yourself being like, oh, I'm so annoyed by that. And then you're like, no, wait, no, I'm not like, that's okay. Like, that's totally fine. <laughs> like, um, 
I don't actually feel that way, but I, for some reason for two seconds, like I felt like I needed to feel that way. Um, yeah. One that I've like, I have, I brought this up on another interview the other day. One that I've been like thinking about a lot, um, recently is this concept of like needing to walk in through the back door when you are an employee. Um, and I, I recognize that it is very different for every place of employment. Um, but more specifically for me, like I remember being trained at one of the early restaurants that I worked at and it was specifically the training was you come in the back door so that people don't see you walking in. Um, and you know, that, that very much like stripping away of like you being worthy, um, or, or whatever it may be. And like, I'm, I'm certain that that goes very far back into some ancient, you know, history of working in restaurants and, and, you know, culture, cultural and, um, and things like that. But, um, you know, and I never really like over the past like years or so, like, you know, our, I'll see like a line cook walk through the front door at Death and Co. And I'm like, the fuck are they doing? Like they should be going through the back door. And over the past couple of months, I've been trying to retrain myself to be like, yeah, should they yeah. be like, do they need to like, I like, you know, and obviously it's dependent on what your, your bars um, policy is and, and the reasons behind that policy. But yeah, that whole idea of like, you need to walk through the back door so that you don't, so that the guests don't see you yeah. because you can't be a person. You know, it's funny, like um, when you say that, one thing that comes to mind is the same mentality around staff meal. And it's like having a staff meal. And I've been in places that like literally used the um, mirepoix from, from the stock. So like all the vegetables and byproduct like that they use for making this stock that had zero flavor. And I've, I've been in places that use that. And I've been in places that go very far and are very like on top of their staff meal game and making sure that our, this, like our staff eat well kind of mentality. And I I think that um, it's the same kind of idea where it's like, you need to take care of the people that are taking care of the people. And we need to, as like managers and owners, that needs to be our responsibility. We need to make sure that we're able to take care of our staff. And that can mean anything, right? Like that means something different for every single person, obviously, but starting at the basics is like, are they eating well? Are they drinking enough water? Like, I think that even these things are things that have been missed, right? Yeah. Yeah, 100%. And, you know, like we've been having these conversations at the bar about um, taking the break, taking your breaks, the ones that are legally required of you um, from, you know, the United States uh, labor uh, laws. And, you know, it eventually boiled down to like, yo, like, taking a 10 minute break every five hours is yeah. like really good for you. <laughs> like why, like yeah. that should be happening. Like it's good for your mental health. It's good for your physical health. Like it's okay to go like sit down and like, yeah, like God forbid you do sit down to eat your staff meal rather than stand over the trash can and like <laughs> eat it so fast that you it's get hiccups. Um, I don't know, know if you, you find this, but I find as well, like I need to actually go in to kitchen sometimes and be like, you need to take a break. Like I've seen you, you haven't taken a break for the last few hours. Like go sit down, go outside and get some fresh air, like hang out. But like, I think because of, I find anyways, because of all of the other noise in the industry, like when people come into a different environment, that's not like that, it's almost foreign to them. Like it's a foreign concept. 
Um, and like you said, eating over the garbage can, yeah. it's like, Hey, look, if you're going to eat, and I've said to people, if you're going to eat food, I'd really rather you just take 15 minutes out, go sit down and eat. If there's something that's really mm -hmm. pressing that needs to get done, like someone can help you, whether it's me or someone else, like we can help you get it done, but it's time to eat. Like, and it's bizarre to like having yeah. to say that, but again, I get, I think as managers, it goes back to like what I just said, like, it's, I think part of our job to take care of people. And, you know, oftentimes in the industry, I feel like this whole role of a manager is given to people who either are great bartenders or, you know, can work the floor really well or uh, are really good cooks and have worked through all the stations um, or are threatening to leave. So all of a sudden they're promoted and it's like, there's no training around the emotional intelligence side and there's no training around the, like how to manage different personalities and different, you know, learning styles. And, you know, there's just very little talk around that. And I think for me, that's one thing within my company that I'm trying to change is like, you know, a little bit more training into, into this because it is such a different thing. You can't treat everyone the same because every single person is different. Yeah. I mean, I've yet to, I've yet to receive a training manual for being a manager. Um, you know, and I, and I like, I've worked for some really incredible bars and restaurants, but yeah, nobody's writing in a training manual for how to manage people. And uh, I've always said that that's the hardest part about becoming a manager is learning that you have to manage totally. every person differently. Um, and nobody teaches you that. Um, and it's a really, really, really hard lesson to learn especially when you're afraid of yep. and uh, it's mistakes. it can be I feel like it can Failing. be also um you know emotionally taxing you know like it's it's like I feel like it's tiring and it's it's draining um but then I think the other side too is that you know being a manager is oftentimes like you get it from both ends a little bit like you, you you're getting like the um the problems and stuff from the management and sorry from the ownership side and then you're getting all of the staff problems and so like I really do believe that being a manager is such a difficult position. And the fact that we don't prepare people for it is, you know, again, one of the issues with our industry, it's just, there needs to be more thought around that as a starting point, I guess. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I would not to circle back to like the very beginning of our conversation, but I would love to hear a little bit more about like how you felt like it went, um, implementing those changes for your staff along the lines of like four day work weeks and um, having a, a gym credit and things like that. Like as an owner, um, do you feel like, how do I want to ask this question? Like, I guess, do you feel like owners could be better preparing themselves when they are planning to open bars and restaurants to where they, they could be providing these things? I think the argument a lot of the time is like, sure. we can't afford it. Um, and for me, I mean, I'm not an owner of a bar or restaurant, but I do hope to be one day. And like, I just am like, I'm going to need to write it yeah. into my fucking plan. Yeah, like totally. To I think there's like a plan. couple sides to that answer. Okay. Like, so um, I certainly felt it just like every other owner, like the margins are so slim. Like, you know, if we broke even, I was happy kind of scenario, you know, like, and um a lot mm -hmm. of the stuff that we started doing, like the shift to four day work weeks and uh, gym credits and, and just kind of like overall culture shifts and making sure people were eating, it didn't really change the bottom line. Like there was really no change in what we were spending, 
it was just a, it was really just a culture shift and it took me actively researching. So really other than my time investment, there was no financial obligation there. Um, and I agree. I think that there's, we're kind of caught in this really weird game of, um, you know, oftentimes in our business models, we don't factor in enough support for our staff. We don't factor in someone asking for a raise. We don't factor in um, the fact that people should have wellness credits or whatever you want to call it. Um, but the thing is, is that like we need to start looking at the what the real cost of, of food is. For a long time, I think that competition and our competition model has been so aggressive. Like there's something like 10, say 10,000 restaurants in Toronto, like you know, how do you compete with them? And it's like, okay, well, let's keep our prices down. And, you know, our burger will be $18, whereas next door it's $19, whatever, you know? And I think the problem is, is in playing this consistent game of, um, you know, trying to price match and trying to be the most competitive, um, we're really doing a disservice to the actual people that are running these businesses. Um, and I think that starting to have this, this revolution of like, okay, well, what does that hamburger actually cost? You know, in order to pay... X, Y, Z, all these people, whatever, uh, a bit more fairly and, and factor in some of these things into our, our, you know, business model, you know, what can we do? I mean, there's been proven uh, studies that show there is an ROI on investing in mental health in the workplace. And the, the thing about these studies is that yeah. they're showing that it's not only a one-time investment, but the longer you invest in it, um, the more return you actually get from it. And what I found, um, for in doing it at my restaurant was um the first thing that i noticed was the turnover where it was way down like our staff turn was like like i had staff that would work for me for like five years and staff that like yeah, I, th I think in the kitchen um we had at one point the the person who was the newest hire was like something like two and a half three years there um and it's just it's unheard of like and i i kind of feel like at the same time as that was happening, there's all this dialogue and conversation around the uh, work, the labor shortage and the skilled labor shortage. And it's like, well, yeah, of course it is. Like, of course they're tied together. Like, why would like someone entering this industry work their asses off for 70 hours a week for like almost minimum wage when they can drive an Uber and make more money? And, you know, like, right, it's just, yeah. it's not an attractive offer. And I think that's kind of one of the conversations that, people seem to have forgotten about like you know it hasn't been long since we really had this epidemic and I think even like David Chang was talking about like how um, the restaurant industry was like destined to collapse or something like that in one of his articles just because of the skilled labor shortage but again it's like when we start making these shifts is there really a skilled labor shortage or is there something wrong in the workplaces that's encouraging these people to not want to stay Yeah, I'm 100%. And I hope that I do hope that the era of like, doing this for like, for fame or notoriety or like, uh, you know, for something greater than just like a good life. Um, I hope that that's done. Um, and I hope that people stand up for themselves, you know, because that's like another part of the issue. And I hope and I, I don't by any means mean to take any of the blame off of, you know, the issues that have come from just like our industry as a whole, but like being willing, you know, being a, being the person who says, I will, I will work for minimum wage or less than minimum wage 
um, because that'll help me get to the next step. It's like, you're doing a disservice to everyone who has come before you, who's worked so hard to change that. And you're doing a disservice to everybody who will come after you um, because you're devaluing the work. Um, And so people, you know, obviously like restaurant owners and everyone else involved needs to get on board with paying people what they deserve to be paid. But like, I hope that workers can. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Um, Someone actually asked me sometime last year, like, they're like, I'm in this kind of situation and it's not the healthiest and this and that. And it's like, what can I do? And I'm like, well, to be honest, like, if you feel like you've exhausted all of your kind of options here, like leave, find a place that is more suitable. And like, if we do it, like a culture shift towards that. And if we do it in masses where people just stop putting up with this stuff and there's no more of it, then that's it. Like if, if these bad business owners and people who have zero value on, on people's health, if they can't get any staff, they have to close their business. And it doesn't matter how profitable they are. If they can't hire any staff to run the business, there's no business there. Right. That's the scariest part about wanting to see these changes is that, you know, how do we, how do we mobilize? (laughs) How do we make it when there's no, uh, nothing to tie us all together other than our, uh, you know. Yeah. And actually that's like, so that was one of the things. So this year during the pandemic, uh, not nine to five, we created a course. It's an online self-led course called connecting. And it's focused on the primary concerns um, that we found in our industry. And the idea is to start normalizing these conversations and make it so people feel like they have the power and the ability to look at things and be like, you know what, I'm going to speak about this because I don't feel like this is super healthy. Um, And I think that's really one of the main um, goals is really to try to empower people to to have that voice because you're absolutely right. Like, I mean, 10 years ago, 15 years ago, I wouldn't have known what to do. Like I've been physically thrown to the ground by chefs multiple times. You know, it's like as a young man who is like super passionate and super hungry to succeed working in like, you know, a really nice fine dining restaurant and that happens, I didn't even blink. Like I got back into my station and it was just normal. Like it was like, oh, that was kind of like a bit too aggressive and you crossed the line, but that's okay. It was, it was what it was, Um, you know, and I think I wish that I had a little bit more education around, um, you know, some of this stuff just to, you know, obviously you hear like, okay, and you know, there's a law there, but because I guess of all of the conversations that have been normalized, it's kind of like a blurred area, I guess. I don't know, but yeah, you're absolutely right. I, I definitely think it's yeah. mobilizing and, and setting the, setting the tone. Yeah, I agree. Um, so if people want to find y'all at not nine to five and if they want to take that course, yeah, how do great they question. So, y'all? um, First and foremost, check out our website. We have a ton of resources on the website. So it's www.not9to5.com. So uh, not, N-O-T, nine, letter, the letter nine, uh, T-O, five, dot O-R-G. And on Instagram, you can also find us at not9to5 uh, underscore. Awesome. Okay, so, oh my gosh, that was such a quick conversation. I feel like those minutes just literally flew by um I like to finish the podcast with just one more low-key uh fun question so if you could be anywhere in the world 
being um, having something to drink, where would you be? Oh, that's a good question. And what would you be? Uh, I would probably be in Bali right now, just because like I'm in Toronto and it's like there's snow outside and it's not like the most, you know, I mean the sun's shining, which is nice, but it's not the most beautiful weather right now. I'd probably be in Bali, hanging out, drinking some sort of like jungle bird or something like that. That right? sounds so great. Um, well, thank you so much. It's been so great to chat, and um, I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day and week and yeah thank uh, you for having me start to this new year bye Alex this episode was brought to you by our wonderful sponsor most imaginative bartender to learn more about the most imaginative bartender competition and the campus project go to most imaginative bartender.punchdrink.com make sure to tune in every monday for new episodes of focus on health And don't miss No Proof with Joshua Gandy every other Wednesday.